We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. Together we stand, divided we conquer each other. Who determined that this couldn't live with that? That time and space had to sleep in separate beds. Yin divided from yang, sky from earth, church from state, woman from man, early from late. Mind cleaved from brain, right from wrong, food from farm, different from same. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 161, pH Factor, Corroding Connections. Are we heading into a societal meltdown? Come on in, have a seat. Join the conversation. So here we are closing out September. We're recording on the 30th of September. 2021. And this podcast will be available on October 10th. Thanksgiving. There's been quite a bit of feedback on the uh, podcast that we did last time, which was TSP 160. It was supposed to be a planetary postcard, but we switched it over because of all the things that have been happening with COVID. Right. Where do I end and you begin? My body, your health. And the reason why we had switched it, of course, is because so much is happening in that realm. Yeah. And the response on that particular podcast was significant. In fact, We've probably had more unique responses on that than any podcast that we've done recently, Mm -hmm. which led us to move it one more time. Yep. The last podcast, we looked at the crux of individual bodily integrity and where that leaves off and the common good begins. Right. And here, we're talking today about community, about division, about how we're going to mend the rifts between people and between groups of people that have been established through this last year and a half. Because it seems to me in looking around and on social media that people are dividing along all kinds of different lines, sometimes surprisingly, to do with agreeing, disagreeing with the vaccine mandates, agreeing, disagreeing with the politicization of science, agreeing, disagreeing with whether misinformation is really a danger or something we should just allow and then correct as we go. All of these things are being debated now, mm-hmm. and people are divided over so much. From science to schooling to masking. Yeah, all of it is going on right now. People who have decided not to take the vaccinations are now putting their jobs on the line. Yeah. And so you've got employee divided against employer. The Toronto Transit Commission, the largest union, is against vaccine mandates. And now the Toronto Transit Authority is divided against the union on this issue and is trying to get the courts to force them to back down. So look at Australia, another really interesting example. Maybe a week ago, Mm -hmm. construction workers were all at arms against their union for seemingly turning their backs on them. Mm -hmm. And the union was calling these construction workers who are on the streets terrorists when they talk to the media. And it led to violence. Australia is a divided nation now. Very much so. Mainly because of how draconian the measures have been. Mm -hmm. And it just seems that the people who are deciding these things haven't necessarily thought through what it will do to people to lock them down or to put them out of work if they don't take a vaccine, to force their children to wear masks at school. They don't often understand, it seems to me, what the repercussions of their decisions are. Well, I see this as even more complicated because what we've done, in essence, is we've gone from the scientific medical side 
to the social political side of this debate. When you talk about the powers that be not understanding is because I think the original idea or the original purpose was to defend us against medical dangers. Right. And we're so far beyond that now mm-hmm. that I don't mm-hmm. even think that the parties who are opposed, including pro and cons in the vaccine department, we don't even know anymore what the issues that are being driven between us are. There mm-hmm. are people who you think are arguing against the vaccine, and they're not. They're arguing against the civil liberties. Right, right. Uh, the people who are overly concerned on the medical side think that the people who are opposed are thinking that it's just a medical thing that's the issue, and oftentimes it's not. Mm-hmm. Even people who are vaccinated, a good percentage of them are only vaccinated because they're anticipating or know that they're going to encounter restrictions. It has nothing to do with them being afraid, medically Mm -hmm. speaking. And many of those people who are vaccinated, double vaccinated, they have taken the side of the people who want freedom of choice, Mm -hmm. which in a way surprised me when I first started to hear people saying, well, I got double vax, but I respect your freedom of choice. That's a way of bridging a divide. I encountered this firsthand. We went out with another couple for dinner last Saturday. Yeah. We were not vaccinated, but the other couple was vaccinated, double vaccinated. Right. And because they're planning a trip down south, they needed to get vaccinated in order to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why they did. That was the primary reason. I don't get into these discussions unless people want to volunteer information, because I find that these are personal things that people wish to talk about them. Fine, if not. (laughs) Not anymore. (laughs) No, that's my particular viewpoint. I'm not going to pry. If if you want to talk about it, I'll talk about it. If you don't, that's okay, too. If we're getting along and there's no problem, then your thoughts are your thoughts. Yeah, and without naming names, you went to a restaurant Mm -hmm. that respected people's privacy in terms of their health information and didn't ask as to whether people were vaccinated. And there's a divide there too. Businesses divided against each other. Oh yes. There's a growing faction of businesses that are standing up and not complying to these mandates. And it's making them a kind of, in some communities, a bit of a pariah mm-hmm. where people are ganging up and saying, don't go to this restaurant because they're not following the rules. And others that are following the rules are having people turned away who aren't vaccinated. And they're now turning against these businesses and saying, I'll never go back here even after this is over because mm-hmm. of how I've been treated. And the worst part to me about all that is that you're putting it on to the proprietor or the owner of the restaurant. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe that's fair at all. No, because what it's doing is turning citizen against citizen, Mm -hmm. ultimately. And that's, in a way, one of the big psychological crimes that governments have perpetrated on populations, is that they have pushed the narrative onto the citizen in order to have them police other citizens. Mm -hmm. There's an incredible experiment that a teacher by the name of Jane Elliott did in 1968, the day after Martin Luther King died. Mm -hmm. She did this experiment with her grade three class, where she divided them into blue-eyed kids and brown-eyed kids. And then on one day, she announced that the blue-eyed kids were actually just better. They were smarter. They deserved more. They were going to get more time at recess and that they should be clear of the brown-eyed kids because the brown-eyed kids are a bad influence. And the children began to act 
the blue-eyed kids began to pick on the brown-eyed kids and make fun of them and stuff like that mm. very quickly. How are black people treated? How are Indians treated? How are people who are of a different color than we are treated? They, like they are part of this world. They don't get anything in this world. Why is that? Because they're different color. You think you know how that would feel yeah. to be judged by the color of your skin? Yeah. I don't. Do you think you do? No, I don't think you'd know how that felt unless you had been through it, would you? <laughs> it might be interesting to judge people today by the color of their eyes. Would you like to try this? Yeah! Sounds like fun, doesn't it? Since I'm the teacher and I have blue eyes, I think maybe the blue-eyed people should be on top the first day. I mean, the blue-eyed people are the better people in this room. Oh, yes, they are. Blue-eyed people are smarter than brown-eyed people. My dad isn't that Is your dad brown-eyed? Yeah. One day you came to school and you told us that he kicked you. He did. Do you think a blue-eyed father would kick his son? And then the next day she said, oh, I'm sorry, I, was, I lied to you. It's actually the brown-eyed kids which are the better people. And this was all an experiment, by the way. Yeah, and then she had the blue-eyed kids wear these collars that showed that they were of the inferior people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the discrimination reversed, and the brown-eyed kids would make fun of the blue-eyed kids and all that stuff. So it was an incredible experiment that showed how easily we can be swayed into dividing and then persecuting the other. Yes, and she's now 87 years old, by the way. Yeah. I'm actually going to add the two links to the YouTube videos in the description of our podcast notes. Yeah, good. Because I think you'll get a better understanding of what we're talking about when you view the video. Yeah, it was a really gutsy thing she did. Oh. You'd never get away with that now. Right. You couldn't do that as a teacher. Exactly. <laughs> Pretty incredible. And the beauty of it as well is that it's not far-fetched. No, not at all. It's true to human nature. Mm -hmm. We're talking really about a social Chernobyl here. Yes, in a way, that's a good expression. And the nuclear explosion was the lockdown to begin with. Mm -hmm. The lockdowns pushed people into their homes, away from their workmates, away from normal community interaction, interaction and engagement. Practically every day, I'd go to the local coffee shop, grab a coffee, sit down, and within 10 minutes, people would come in that I knew, and they'd invite me over or vice versa, and we'd have a talk about the news of the day, what's going on. Mm -hmm. And the discussions got really real and really engaging. Even in your culture, in the Italian culture, that's a staple, right? With the men especially, we yes. would sit in cafes with espresso, yep. and they talk about all kinds of whatever. Yeah, it's right? more about the community aspect, about interacting with your friends and so on. And uh, yeah, basically an extension of what they did back home, where there weren't malls, but there were piazzas. Right. It's a similar idea. So the lockdowns, in a sense, kill community because community lives 
on people's ability to get together in groups, mm -hmm. to share ideas, to share visions, to get arguments settled, whatever. But if you can't get together in groups of people, which we were stopped from doing, mm -hmm. community stops, essentially. However, some people would argue, and argue perhaps with some merit, that in the beginning, when we knew very little about all this, that maybe the lockdowns were initially thought to be the best idea. In the short term, for a short length of time, you can handle it, mm -hmm. being away from your community, friends, etc., even relatives. We were separated from our relatives too, don't forget. Mm -hmm. Even that community of relations yes. was kind of fragmented and broken. And yet, Harry, I did hear some people say they were in favor of not only the lockdowns, but of border closings. Uh, there were people who felt protected by it. Well, fear will make you decide to do all kinds of ill-advised things. And it just seems to me that when the lockdowns happened, the authorities really had absolutely no idea what that would do to human nature, what that would do to our psyches, and how humans would act in that kind of context. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, the way humans acted was drinking more, taking more drugs, domestic abuse, domestic abuse, suicides, mm -hmm. all kinds of crap people get into when they have time on their hands right. and they're not at work with other people or they're not in the community being corrected and tempered because that's what community does too. It tempers your thoughts and feelings mm -hmm. because other people are pushing back and you find a balance. Well, not right? only that, when you're interacting with people face to face, there's much more accountability. Exactly. Uh, right. And instead of behind a handle mm -hmm. doing it online mm -hmm. on a social media platform where nobody knows who you are necessarily, mm -hmm. right? But is your point more the fact that we didn't learn early on after we did the lockdowns? In other words, were you against them from day one? No, I wasn't because I thought, okay, there's a reasonable case to be made if this thing is what they're describing, mm -hmm. which we didn't know one way or the other because mm -hmm. it was so new. There's a case to be made for keeping people apart from each other. And it also combined to harm our psyches in a very profound way. And I'm speaking personally, okay? okay. I'm normally a fairly even-tempered individual. I'm engaging. I love being in the community. I love collaborating with other artists or writers, etc., etc., etc. Now, I was taken away from that. I've been away from that for a year and a half now. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that my psyche has gone into very dark places. And if I weren't as even keel as I am, I could be mentally ill right now. And lots of people have fallen into that place. And I hope you don't mind me saying this, but since you brought it up, I have to say, I've noticed that change. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, you may have noticed some change in me, but not as much. Right. And I also saw some opportunities during this period, even though I would never trade that for what we've gone through. Exactly. The fear factor has just mounted to a level that's crippling anyone who is either immersed in it or doesn't have the ability to look beyond that fear. Yeah, and also it makes the division wider. Every time the media or government says, the hospitals are on the brink. They are being stressed to the gills, but they never say exactly what that brink is and how far away from the end of the hospital care there is. And it's always, they could be pushed over the edge, folks. They're on the brink. It makes us so stressed out on the one hand. And on the other hand, it gives people who are angry 
with the unvaccinated, more ammunition, saying, see, yes. our hospitals are being clogged up by the unvaccinated, by you people. Mm-hmm. And the people who need cancer care and all that, they don't have their beds because it's all being taken up by the unvaccinated. It's more about finding some kind of a balance and perspective on this whole thing. Yeah, and the consequences of the narrative being sort of framed in the way it was mm-hmm. in terms of the division that it has created in society. Mm-hmm. When I look out, I see society really fragmented now. Online, talk about mental illness, I see the threads that are there online and social media and the way people are talking to each other across these divides Mm -hmm. is really filled with hate. It's filled with viciousness and a lack of empathy. And that's really disturbing to me. That divide is the real issue now, not this virus. Mm -hmm. Our psyches are the issue now. Our societal psyche, the wholeness of it, our communities, they're the issue right now. And it's happening on both sides. Of course, because both sides are part of Our community, Mm -hmm. our community as a town, as a province, as a country, that's all at stake here. Mm -hmm. Although I will say my own observations during this time is that there are some things that do seem to be improving, but I think it's improvement that comes almost as a result of fatigue. Mm -hmm. The longer this goes on, the less likely people are to play things by the book. And that could be either very positive or very negative. Well, yes, of course. Depends on who holds the strings of power, right? But what I wanted to say was that the other divide Mm. is in the world of science itself. Yes. Because what you have now is X number of medical professionals who are promoting the mainstream line and vaccines are good and important and everybody should be jabbed, including kitties. But you also have a minority, supposedly, of equally credible medical professionals Mm -hmm. who are saying absolutely not. This is the wrong approach, folks. This is bound to lead to disaster. There are warning signals all over the place. You have to find a different way to treat this thing. And for anyone who doubts that, all you have to look at is all the nurses and even doctors who are resisting and even willing to lose their jobs. Well, in some cases, 10% of the nurses in a hospital are quitting. There's a hospital in the U.S. that had to stop delivering babies because they didn't have enough staff. Mm-hmm. And these staff shortages, hospitals are going to be even more stressed. Which, no matter which side of the fence you're on, why are these health workers, nurses, and even in some cases doctors, why are they refusing? Why are they willing to give up their jobs? Yeah. It's another one of those things which I think is problematic, largely due to lack of trust. Let me be specific. You come to me and say, well, I don't understand. What's the big deal about getting a vaccine? Like, Just get it. Right. Because, you know, if you get it, at least you're safe. You're not going to get really sick. You probably won't die. In fact, you're not supposed to. And these arguments go back and forth and back and forth. But nobody ever says, yes, provided you believe that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you hit the nail on the head. A lot of it has to do with belief. Yes. You know, either you believe in what the government is telling you, if you believe what Fauci and the experts are telling you, if you believe the CDC and the FDA and all these national health bodies, the WHO, then you're right in line with going with the program. But the strange thing is that people who would have very little trust in the government normally, a liberal not trusting in a conservative government, Mm -hmm. when COVID came along, it seemed like, yes, we have to trust them. 
because they're telling us, so we must trust them. Right. Suddenly, that lack of trust and that caution around political speeches and how they talk, suddenly that was out the window, and yes, sir, no, sir, yes, sir, we'll go along with it, sir. It became a very strange dynamic to me to see people who would normally have a hate on for our premier of Ontario, for example, mm -hmm. saying, oh, he's doing exactly the right thing. Well, I'm going to say one word to me sort of defines the state of affairs. And the word is confusion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think what we have now is a world of largely undecided, undecided about so many things. Mm -hmm. Undecided, unsure, they don't know which science to believe, they don't know anymore who their friend is, because suddenly relationships are being tested, you thought you knew your partner, your partner has shown you something in the last 18 months you've never seen before, and vice versa, your friends, the colors are sprouting everywhere, it's springtime. Things are being revealed at such a rate yeah. That we now are questioning our very being. I mean, people walk around saying, I'm tired. I don't know why. Or I don't want to hear another word. The very person who proposes or opens the conversation about COVID is the very person that a few minutes later is saying, I don't want to hear another word about it. <laughs> yeah. Especially if they're talking with someone who is pushing back. Or someone that may not even be pushing at all, but they've had their expulsion. They've had their rant. Degassed, so to yeah, speak. Yeah. Decouple themselves from the narrative that they started. Right. There's a lack of certainty. And disheartened in a way, too. And that's one of the signs of a society's melting down, mm -hmm. is that the population have less energy for thinking about the future, for having vision, for engaging in change for the better. And people just become disheartened and disillusioned and start to hunker down and, as you say, decouple from the narrative and just turn inward and just think, I'm just going to weather this. Wake me when it's over. Yeah. You know, and, I would say, and I would say something even more immediate than that. And again, I'm using the broad we here as the collective we. A lot of us aren't taking those opportunities to recharge. Yeah. Uh, because even the most basic joy mm. seems to be short-lived. And people are not sleeping. Yeah, that's a big one. At a fundamental physical level, people need to sleep. And so many of us, including myself, are suffering from insomnia. And you cannot function well. No, absolutely not. Or relate well if you're constantly tired. Oh, not only know? that, you're weakening your system even more and you're putting yourself into a mental state that makes you even more susceptible. And you get cranky and that crankiness can divide you off from your spouse or your children or friends right. or what have you because you get angry more easily, you get upset more easily. Mm -hmm. That's what I found for me anyway. And that's not healthy. For an individual, it's not healthy for a society to have so many people in distress, anxiety, overtired, disillusioned, mm -hmm. feeling that they don't trust any information they're getting. All of that, to me, are signs of society's breakdown. Right. And it's not happening for every single individual, but it's happening to a larger and larger percentage, which makes it much more difficult for us as a society to regain balance. Because in every situation, when you have an ill person, if a whole person is there and able and capable of taking care of the ill person, at some point you reach a balance. Mm -hmm. But if the person doing the caretaking is also stressed or fatigued, yeah. then you have a quickly deteriorating situation. Well, sure. <laughs> and at a larger societal level, 
what you're seeing around the world depends on the place. But if you go to Paris, if you go to France, you see demonstrations every other day with hundreds of thousands of people in the streets. And these people are not going to go away. The French love to protest. They're going to carry on mm -hmm. until something breaks. Society fragmenting. It's happening everywhere. Italy, same thing. Mm -hmm. Demonstrations. Yep. Farmers out with tractors pushing the cops back. <laughs> Australia is yeah. a police state. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, but a, a society divided against itself, it doesn't happen naturally. It happens when a totalitarian way of governing pushes down the pressure on the population, pushes people apart. Mm -hmm. When you use that term, we have to think now that we're talking, we're now in 2021. This is not the Soviet Union in 1930, 1940, 1950. This is the globe in 2021. Even when you throw out terms like you just did, totalitarian or fascist, people that have only seen these words in history yeah. books. Yeah. They've never experienced right. them. Right. So even when we use these terms, we're in a different world now and the way we're living. Because in essence, no matter how bad things are, it's not as if you in your own home, you're watching Netflix, you're eating good food, you have access to hot water, you can still walk the streets, no one is coming to your door. So it's more difficult for people to see this degradation that you're describing. Yeah. Yeah, unless you're uh, one of the unfortunate people who have COVID and have to quarantine and where you do get visits either online or through the phone or at the door from uh, representatives of the health department and sometimes the police if you're mm. not complying and you are getting fines, etc. The thing is that, yes, I know when you say totalitarianism, people get all freaked out. What are you talking about? Oh, this is Canada. We don't remember. Okay. But the fact is that one of the modus operandi of a totalitarian state is to divide the population yes. and to find a scapegoat. It happened in Hitler's time. It happened in Stalin's time. It happens all over the world in history. Mm -hmm. And in this case, when politicians scream, pandemic of the unvaccinated. It's separating out that group of people and encouraging the rest of the population to have a hate on for them. Yes. And our prime minister, I'm calling him out, he's using hate language when he calls these people stupid or terrorists or whatever mm -hmm. words he's using. Mm -hmm. He's encouraging people to hate on these people. Right. And that's a crime. That's a criminal act. Yes. If I did that on the street and encouraged people to hate on Italians, mm -hmm. I'd be arrested for a hate crime, essentially. Mm -hmm. For inciting violence. For inciting violence yeah. against a particular population. But that's what's happened. There are a lot of small examples that yeah. add up to a society that can become dysfunctional. Which right? is where we are right now. Well, I think we are there. Yeah. I guess we'll see. I mean, when I say dysfunctional yeah. to a degree, I can't measure the degree, but there are obvious signs of this disjointedness, I would classify it as. Yeah. We're being divided either by ideology, by facts, and now the actual day-to-day -day things are becoming real. Mandates, passports, you can't come here, you can't go there. These are tangible now. Oh, yeah. So how do we get beyond this? I guess the question will be what happens when and if we get past the physical part of the virus, the danger? How are we going to now find our way across these divides and heal society? It's not funny, it's not fun, it's not 
pleasant. This is a filthy, nasty word called discrimination. We're treating people a certain way because they are different from the rest of us. Is that fair? No. no. Should the color of some other person's eyes have anything to do with no. how you treat them? No. All right, then should the color of their skin? No. Should you judge people no. by the color no. of their skin? No. no. Danger is also a perception. It's not just what is the level of danger. Yeah. You may experience it as something which is disruptive. Another person can experience as something that they're completely engrossed in and unable to move. COVID, when I look at the numbers, is it serious? Are people getting sick? Are people dying? Absolutely. But you have to also look at where, how is it happening? What is the level of danger? So for me, as an example, the time is now, not when things are going to get less dangerous. <laughs> you yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 of course. What's happening now has been happening for 18 months. And yes, we go through waves. And what we're getting is an increase in cases. We're not getting an increase in deaths. Correct. Relative to the number. So again, not to diminish the significance of it, nor the people that have to deal with this every day. And there are people, there are pockets of people who are suffering greatly and even losing their lives. But again, there's 7 billion of us plus on this earth, almost eight. Well, let's put things into perspective. How big is that danger really, is what I'm asking. Well, scientists have decided that the danger of death is approximately 0.2%. The danger of death for the flu the annual flu, according to the WHO, is approximately 0.1%. So what we're talking about here is something that's a bad flu, actually, in okay. terms of its lethality. Let's take it even to a really, really bad flu. That's a far cry from a plague. Yeah. Okay. Right, right. And it's not to say that we shouldn't be using this as an example of things to come, because everybody sort of agrees that they will be replaced by something else or there'll be mutations, whatever. I'm not qualified to speak on those things. When you pose that idea of what do we do when we come out of this, when the danger is past, my mind was lit up by the word danger. I think part of the stresses that we're experiencing is that we're also experiencing the definition differently. We're not all in the same level of fear. No, no, of course not. And I think that's adding to the social unrest. Look, there are people out there who won't go to a dinner or an event if there's anybody who is going to be there who is not vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Because they've got it in their head that this is a dangerous situation. So they've divided themselves off from the unvaccinated. And some of them might be their relatives. Their, their own spouses. Yeah, their families where two people are vaxxed and two aren't, and yeah. they have to somehow figure it out and still get along as a family. Mm -hmm. Huge challenges, really. Yes. In terms of dealing with how society has fragmented itself. And I, frankly, don't see yet how we're going to come out of this intact as a whole society. So, intact. Who says that the situation has to be perfect before you can begin to improve things? No, it doesn't. So to me, we start now. Start what now, though, is the question. We start even what we're just doing here. We're talking about it. We're having an exchange. We're learning more. Yes, but you and I are not on opposite divides. 
you have a slightly different attitude to the whole thing, mm. but we share a lot of the same ideas and thoughts about That's true. the measures taken, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. If we were on a completely different divide, it's a much taller task yes. to start now. Now, some of it is happening online. I still get the odd person who says, I respect that our positions are different. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with you, but we're going to agree to disagree for now. And I still respect you. I still like you as a friend, blah, 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 blah. That's a good start. At least that. But even that, being miles apart, how do we make the leadership or the media, how do we make them more accountable for what's happening so we don't beat up on each other as much and try to work our way through that? It's very difficult because the media are not exactly independent of government. The government is not exactly independent of lobby groups and big pharmaceutical companies, etc. There's a certain kind of connectivity among these large units of society that are controlling the narrative, which is very hard to break through and to make them accountable, as you say. So in some ways, what you just described, you describe them as a sort of society, which they are. And their society is working a little bit better than our society. Right. And I'm suggesting that socially we also have to become more unified. So essentially what we're saying is we need to think about more than the potential for physical illness or danger there. And think more about how we can heal our divides in our respective circles. Because we're going to have to do it at some point. We can't wait, as you say, Might as well start now, Mm -hmm. because otherwise society is just going to go down the tubes. It's going to be the dark ages at some point. Well, don't you think that as cliche as it sounds, that in order for people to heal as a society, they have to be well themselves? Sure. Maybe you begin with your own household, your own family, your own neighborhood. Yeah. I think part of the exhaustion that's happening is people listening to things day in and day out that are way beyond their control. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. start to feel helpless. Why don't we start focusing on the things that are immediate? Right. So you can begin by self-care. You can begin by trying to take care of yourself a little bit better. I know that sounds... No, no, it's perfectly right. Or your partner, your children. At least try to create that because that's how you create strength. If you're sitting there worried about what's happening in Rome or what's happening in San Francisco or what's happening in Australia... And you're completely helpless to do anything about that. Yeah. You're going to expend energy on things that you literally have no say in. Sure, sure. Yeah, work on the local. That's one of the first things that I would suggest in terms of how do we turn this around. There's the expression, think globally, act locally. Yeah. We've in some ways forgot about the think globally, but yes, act locally is very important now, for sure, for sure. There's something else which I see is extremely important. When you look at what's happening right now, the portion of society which has been hardest hit, apart from the people who are economically challenged, it's been women, working women, working mothers, for example. That sector of society has been probably hit the hardest in terms of job losses, childcare problems, uh, not being able to have the children looked after. Well, to me, that is the foundation of society. The old, the mothers and children, they are the foundation. Mm -hmm. Historically, if you look at any nation over a period of time, the countries that look after those three categories are by far 
the most highly functioning societies is the people who look after the sure. elderly, the yeah. weak, mothers and children. Right. So that's a good thought. Let's take care of the vulnerable. Let's take care of the disadvantaged and the ones who have been hurt the most. Which know? is exactly what we should be doing with COVID. Right. And that's a way of crossing the divide as well. So regardless of whether I agree with that working mother, I can empathize that she has to stay home to take care of her kids because they've taken them out of school or what have you, mm -hmm. right? And that divide doesn't mean anything if I have enough empathy for this other person. And that could be another solution as well. Rather than focus on how much you're suffering, try and help someone who's suffering more than you are. Exactly. I have the perfect poem for this topic. To integrate, not subjugate. To hold the many feet to the one fire that gave us to ourselves as mysteries and to each other. To be one. To be whole again. Nestled in the sacred vessel of soul again, in the promised land, where together at last, together at last, we stand where the lines are blurred. All cuts fall back into the knife, and everything that the world is, is our one wild and precious life. Let us know. Send in your comments, either text or via audio. We have mm -hmm. a record button. Hit that record button. Talk to us. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us when we're way off the mark. And we will respond to you. Absolutely. We listen to every message that comes through. And we have something to say about it. So Yes, and thanks very much for those of you who have responded. I must say the last couple of podcasts, it was really nice to see people responding, putting in their comments. And more importantly, for me anyway, was the fact that... Uh, the responses were largely positive. In fact, I don't even remember anything that was seriously negative. And Damn it, what have we done wrong well, with? <laughs> I wasn't referring to so much in terms of whether there's an agreement or not, but the quality of the response, because I think you alluded to that in the last podcast where you said, I welcome any kind of response. However, no need for us to take out the baseball bats. We can just communicate right. our disagreement. A little respect over here. Yeah. A little respect. Okay? So everyone stay safe, stay well until yep. the next podcast. Ciao, Peter. Ciao, Harry. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to the SIL podcast.